0: Welcome inside 254. Let's close the office door and start the conversation. So the talk around the table today is about sexual assault in the news.
1: And we should very quickly say that there are going to be a lot of things we talk about that could be triggering. So just... Be compassionate with yourself, take breaks from listening, whatever you need to do. But we're going to talk about this really honestly.
0: Yes. So if you need to take a break, if you need to not listen to this right now, um, we're okay with that. I mean, just take Encourage care of yourself. Encourage it. Yeah, yes. Take care of yourself. What do the following people have in common? Okay. I'm going to read you a list of names.
1: Okay. Is it long? Mm hmm. Okay.
0: Daniels Wordling. John Copley, Wayne Parcell, Stephen Wynn, Barry Lubin, Rob Porter, Patrick Meehan, Omid Malik, James Rosen, Mike Germano, Don Hazen, Morgan Spurlock, Donovan McNabb, Mario Batali, Ryan Lizza, Bill O'Reilly, Alex Kaczynski, Lauren Stein, Israel Horowitz, Garrison Keeler, Ben Vereen, David Sorensen, Matt Lauer, Charlie Rose, John Conyers Jr., Russell Simmons, Al Franken, David Sweeney, Eddie Berganza, Tony Cornish, Louis C.K., Ed Westwick, Andy Dick, Kevin Spacey, Mark Halperin, Terry Richardson, John Besch Lockhart Steele, Harvey Weinstein, Glenn Thrush, Roy Moore, Larry Nasser. What do they have in common?
1: Well, they've all most of them have come across my newsfeed for being accused of some kind of sexual misconduct um some of those names were surprising to me they are names that did not come across my newsfeed, and i think i'm paying pretty close attention to the charges of sexual misconduct that have been circulating some things those people have in common are some of those are people that i have admired and that I, whose work i have appreciated and people that i have looked up to and thought were voices for uh equity gender equity and um, that is just a terrible list, hearing you read it out loud.
0: Yeah, it's overwhelming.
1: It's really, it's, super, it's uh, overwhelming is yeah, w- basically how I feel for the past five
0: months. <laughs> yeah. And, and hearing, I think it was important, I wanted, and this is not, by the way, the entire list of men who have been accused of sexual misconduct. This list also represents these are men who have not only been accused of sexual misconduct, but they have either resigned, or been fired, or experienced some other professional fallout from these accusations and the you know the process of getting caught.
1: Although I'm pretty sure <laughs> Kevin Spacey and Harvey Weinstein are like in a spa somewhere in Arizona that's called a treatment center. So, right, I, you know, like please.
0: Right. So um, I wanted to start by asking you if you could give us just a brief narrative. I thought it might make sense for our listeners to understand how we ended up coming to the way we're about to put this episode together, like, because it started yes. somewhere very different.
1: <laughs> so, dear listeners, a few months ago, we were going to do an episode on Harvey Weinstein, and that seemed to make perfect sense. And then over the course of several months, stories continue to break. And I kept texting Amanda and saying, oh, we have to add Larry Nassar. Oh, we need to talk about Rob Porter. And very quickly what happened is there was an avalanche of names that we cannot talk about every single story. And while some look different than the Harvey story, and we don't even have, like, Quentin Tarantino on there. Like, we don't have any names that are on the, like, periphery of stories that we're not quite sure how to categorize those those stories yet. But, boy, we, just, we feel a little overwhelmed about how to bring all this together when we thought it was going to be a story about, like, one bad actor and the structures that upheld his sexual misconduct and assault. But now we have this giant web of, of men that we need to talk about.
0: Right, so we're going to start. And you all have heard us talk about structures before and the difference between the structural and the individual. But I think in this case, it's really important to revisit this conversation and defining what a structure is and how and why, in this context, these these men who are accused of sexual assault, misconduct, harassment, and how they are supported by these structures. So I just wanted to throw some headlines at you. Um, this is just in the last couple of days. Uh, second White House official departs amid abuse allegations which he denies. That's Washington Post. Uh, a couple days ago, after Weinstein, 68 men accused of sexual misconduct and their fall from power. That was New York Times February 8th, which is, by the way, where I called the list uh-huh. that I just read. Quote, um, another headline, Larry Nassar apologizes, gets 40 to 125 years for decades of sexual abuse. That was CNN February 5th. And then I wanted to pull out I wanted to pull out some quotes from this one article that I read by Rebecca Traster. We was, love
1: you Rebecca Traster. Yeah. <laughs> it was on
0: the cut um, in October and the title was the conversation we should be having and so even though it was written in it was published in October it feels super relevant, especially to the point we're going to try and make right now about And it's structures. the Harvey,
1: right? So this piece was directly about mm-hmm. the Harvey Weinstein piece, right. but it has an evergreen quality to it.
0: It does. And so the, the quotes I'm pulling are related to the idea of um, structural and systemic issues. So, quote, This conversation cannot be just about personal revelation or speaking up or being heard or even just about the banal ubiquity of abuse. It must also address the reasons why we replay this scene over and over again. Part of what we have to come to grips with is that this is not a story simply of individual misconduct, but of systemic inequity, a story of nuts and bolts infrastructure, of gender injustice that has permeated generations, centuries of this behavior, and that has worked again and again to beat back any resistance to it a little further down in the article, it got worse in no small part because of these big structural protections, because of the systems, the powerful designed to protect the powerful from incursions by the less powerful. So you want to jump in and expand on that?
1: I, I think it's so... If we ever want this to stop and people say they want it to stop, then we need to have honest conversations about how somebody like Larry Nasser can molest girls in the same room with their parents. And I think his example is, the, is a perfect way to show the calculated systemic, if you want to call it, structural systems in place and how they, they supported a patriarchal notion of power and disempowered women, girls, young girls. An article that missed, I think, a lot of people's radar when all these terrible Nasser stories were coming to light was NBC News unpacked eight times that Larry Nasser could have been stopped. And I'm going to talk about each one and point out why that's important. So in 1997, a 16-year-old gymnast was uh, taking part in a youth program at MSU, and she told her coach that they were uncomfortable with how Nasser put his hands inside of them. The coach didn't do anything and friends also did not believe the girls. So here is an example in 1997 where a system that was in place that was supposed to support and protect girls did not listen to them. Now, again, this is not just about individual bad actors. What we're trying to show you is how all these systems in place failed the girls and supported Larry Nassar molesting them in 1999. Another young girl told a coach the coach she said had told her he was a respected doctor and she should trust him here again in 1999 is another coach who says to the girl who, and this is the other thing that comes up Amanda all the time is why didn't they say anything? Yeah. They say things all the time, right. but there's a systemic disbelief. Yeah. Right. They, there's like a willful disbelief of these girls. So in 1999, nine coaches failed the girls. Then in 2000, a university employee at MSU failed the girls. This, another young girl, a freshman softball player, reported Nassar, and she was told he is a world-renowned doctor. He treats elite athletes. This girl went on to say she felt like she was crazy. So again, a different piece of that structure at MSU that is supposed to support and protect these young athletes failed this girl. Are you seeing, right, these are a lot of individual failures. Like people don't fail this much without the support of a structure that allows them to fail or or rewards them to fail. But there's more.
0: Mm -hmm. There always is. In
1: 2000, 2001, an MSU volleyball player went to the trainer to ask about a general complaint about a doctor making her uncomfortable. She decided not to pursue any kind of charges because she was too embarrassed to share the details. So here again, we have this silencing of women. Why don't women do anything? Why don't women say anything? Well, she did and then was discouraged by the system. And shamed. And shamed, right? So this, this kind of systematic shaming and discouraging of women. Then in 2004, a 12-year-old told her MSU psychologist that Nasser had been molesting her since since she was 6 Dr. Gary Stolick did not report her allegation to law enforcement or to university officials instead and I want you to hear this he arranged a meeting between Nasser and Stephen's parents where the doctor denied he abused her as Stephen said during the sentencing hearing my parents chose to believe Larry Nasser over me so this patriarchal system of family mm-hmm. and this buying into what is legitimate is this male doctor. And he was able to convince an entire group of people that what he was doing was medically sound. That same year, a different woman went to the police. Here is another facet of the system, right? This web of systems around us. This, now we're talking about the legal system, the criminal system. She went to the police and made a report against Nasser. They did nothing. In 2014, after seeing Nassar for an old in- injury, an MSU graduate contacted an associate of Nasser in his department to say she had been sexually assaulted. He referred the matter to the Office of Institutional Equity and somehow nothing ever happened. He insisted that this penetration was medically necessary. They also interviewed four experts, all of whom had ties to Nasser, who said they didn't believe what he did was sexual. Again, this is not just one individual acting badly. This is a web of systems that are upholding one person who is enacting these terrible things. The police also failed. The medical world failed them in that moment. MSU police turned their findings over to prosecutors, but they declined to press charges. And remember, the question that I kept seeing on my newsfeed was, how does this happen? How does this happen? Well, until we start talking about how this happened, nothing is going to change. There's more. In 2015, Maggie Nichols, a member of the U.S. National Gymnastics team, was overheard by her coach telling another gymnast about treatments that this treatments that this guy did, right? The whisper network. Mm-hmm. Girls telling you yeah. to stay away. Stay away, watch out. The coach reported it to officials at USA Gymnastics, the national governing body for the sport. So we've got the police failing. We've got MSU failing. We've got USA Gymnastics failing. Sadly, we have parental, you know, parenting, parent the family structure failing. We have Colleagues, we have the medical system failing these girls. Th- this is not; these are not anomalies. These are all things working together. So, the USA Gymnastics body hired a private investigator instead of going to the law because, of course, we don't want anybody to know. And then they said it did not have a quote reasonable suspicion that a crime had occurred. <laughs> for fuck's sake! Even though, for now, now we're talking since the n- late '90s. Mm-hmm. Finally, the FBI was contacted five weeks after the initial report. And according to MSU police logs, Nassar allegedly went on to abuse numerous young women from the the time the USA Gymnastics got the complaint to a September 2016 newspaper investigation that finally took him out of the examining room. And the newspaper is what finally got him away from girls. Legal system didn't do it. Family unit didn't do it. Education system didn't do it. Gymnastics body didn't do it. If you, if you are still clinging to the idea that Larry Nassar is just one bad actor and we can just eliminate the one bad actor and that there's no actual systemic problem, I don't right, really know quite... All, the only thing that's missing from this is religion. I mean, honestly, mm. this is like every structure that was in place that was supposed to be supporting these girls... And they nobody listened to them. And when somebody did, the systems fell flat anyway. And so then we end up with weeks-long testimonies of these girls standing up, telling their horrible stories. And I mean, I appreciate that everyone was so shocked. But it is very clear to me how we end up with stories like Harvey Weinstein's, like Larry Nassar's. Harvey Weinstein was the same way. Once, you know, he had aides that were ushering him in. He had this whole like structure in place and he was too big and important. It was this weird kind of paternal, patriarchal, I have way too much power, Mm -hmm. right? Larry Nassar, well, he treats elite athletes. Harvey Weinstein, he is the gatekeeper for superstars These people that end up having way too much say over somebody's lives. And so nobody believes anybody that speaks out against them. To me, it's so clear and obvious that this goes well beyond. And yes, Larry Nassar is the the villain here. He is the individual actor. But if the structures that were in place had worked in the way that people say they work, this would have stopped a long time ago. And it took journalism to finally stop him. What did it take to finally stop Harvey Weinstein? Journalism, mm-hmm. people reporting the story.
0: Until then, nobody listens. Yeah. So one of the, um, thank you so much for going oh, through awful. that. it's awful. You're welcome. Because it, I think it absolutely clarifies. I mean, honestly, I feel like if anybody's listening to this who is just going to cling to the idea that there's no such thing as a structure, you're not our audience.
1: I can't, I can't do any more. I mean, to me, this is so blatant. There's
0: no other way. I mean, I think you laid it out really well, especially connecting the dots. That way is so clear. I mean, I'm believed it before but now i'm like well fuck how does nobody see how do you not see
1: this well and you can see my note like my notes like like, next to each one i have like which structure failed in that situation like it's not just one no it's it is a web of them
0: so if we're clinging to the idea that um it's just these individuals we have to start questioning the structures you have to start seeing Yes. The structure. So, forget the idea of believing, or so start paying attention to the structures of power around you. So, you think you can rely on the legal system? You think <laughs> you can rely on the police? You think you can rely on your HR, so, your HR, <laughs> or and your, your governing body, or your governing body? Or you think you can trust your doctor or their medical team. Okay, maybe you can, one of those. But what if none of them believe you? When you say, "Here's a problem that I'm having. Here's something that happened to me." And every single one of those people looks at you like you're nuts. Questions of the veracity of your statement, looks at you like maybe you're just making things up to cause trouble. Well, what do you, I mean, the, there is nowhere else to turn but the court of public opinion. There is literally nowhere else to turn. You know, I have a hard time when people are like, well, they shouldn't be judged in public. You know, I don't give a fuck. At this point, if the whole structure, if every single system in place to uphold the power of the powerful and all those structures and systems look at the people who are saying, hey, abuse, assault, harassment, and they're going, yeah, no, you're, you're probably just lying. Nope, we don't believe you. Well then, that's it. There's nowhere else to turn but journalists. That's it. That's where you like, that's what, so in other words, if you don't want that to be the only outlet for people who are assaulted or abused or harassed to go, well then maybe start looking at the structures around you and see how you can improve them right. to, believe, right. to believe the people who say there's a problem. And then maybe we won't be left with just the journalists having to be the ones shedding light on things.
1: And these are the eight times in the Larry Nasser story that we know about. Right. (laughs) How many more do we not know about? How many things, there were several um, people who had killed themselves. Um, The one girl believes that her dad killed himself because of the shame that he, quote, you know, like, Allowed this to happen in front of him, and that he didn't believe her. She, in her statement, she directly connects his suicide to how terrible he felt after being conned by an entire system that believed in the elite intelligence of this guy that was doing pelvic—I don't—I don't even want to call it exams. I don't even that was that was molesting girls. I mean, think of the audacity that you have to have to molest a girl in the room while her parents are in the room and you're just on the other end of your of her. What we what how much you have to buy into the belief that he is somehow smarter and better and superior. That paternalism is unsafe for people. The fact that anytime anybody questioned him, the answer was well, he's a doctor. Well, or Harvey Weinstein, right? He's a, he a star maker. Mm-hmm. He knows how to do this. Well, I guess they didn't because they didn't do it in without, a way that was like safe.
0: Yeah, he, they didn't do those things without committing crimes. Right. Therefore, I mean, not effective. Right. Not as effective. It's not as effective. So... Yeah, no, we don't have any answers here, but I think... Articulating... I think that what you
1: just said, though, is like if you're still willfully like not buying into the fact that this is a bigger issue than one bad actor, then you are now part of the problem. Like, honestly, it, yeah. you got to get on board. Because also, if you really just believe that like one person is deeply evil, then nothing will ever change. Right. You just have this belief that somebody is like naturally bad and nothing will ever change. I am not willing to buy that. I believe that, yes, maybe that person is bad, but also there are ways to disrupt that badness.
0: There are, and paying attention and really working to see the structures around you. And you don't have to go farther than look at your work environment, the structure of your work environment. You know, who's responsible for what? If you had a serious problem or an accusation, who would you go to? And if you're a woman, what are the chances that they're going to believe you? And if you're a man, and if you've been, if you've been assaulted, what are the chances that they're going to believe you? I mean, look at the medical community. You know, if you're in a university, look at your university community. Look at the legal system. I mean, it's, to me, it's not hard to see, but I understand that some people are really resisting this. And I think it's probably because of this, we're in an uncomfortable cultural shift moment right now. So... I, I know that there are also I've seen I I know men who are worried that this is now a chaotic free for all where women will accuse any man of sexual assault just because she doesn't like him like right so I don't like you so I'm going to accuse you and and my point is because <laughs> it's so awesome. Well to and accuse. and my point to these men is that that's here's why that's unrealistic. First of all, I've I've said to a man, "Okay, have you ever been accused of sexual assault?" No. Why do you think that is? Perhaps it's because you've never committed sexual assault, and at least I hope you haven't, right? So women don't just throw these accusations around. Um, I did look up some false reporting statistics because in that conversation I was curious, and I found out that it is between 2 and 10% um, of sort of allegations are considered false reporting, and there's all these nuances to what that means, Um, And a lot of that false reporting, it is something is reported and then rescinded by the victim for
1: a whole whole myriad of reasons. It could be like this in this story, right, where she basically got convinced that if you go through with this, you're going to be the one
0: that suffers. Right. Or all the way to, all right, no, it didn't happen exactly the way I was initially thinking it was or whatever. But so there is a reason why there's there's this range of two to 10 percent and two to 10 percent is not that high. No, I don't think that anybody should, you know, lose their job if they haven't done anything wrong. But I also think that if we are in a moment where everybody in our cultural shift is going to start believing the 90 to 98% of women and others who say, I've been assaulted, I've been harassed, I've been abused. If we're shifting to giving the benefit of the doubt to that 90 to 98% and that 2 to 10% sort of get swept up in the wave. I'm fine with that.
1: Well, and I'm the, fine right. With that. Look at the Larry Nasser story for that that example. Imagine if one of these if one of these stories and structures had worked, how many women would have not have been molested. Exactly. So, even if it were even if out of the 8, one, right? Like that's what, 15%, I don't do math very well, but like like if they had just believed, if 15% of the stories had been believed in this situation, it would have ended sooner.
0: And a lot more women and girls would not have been sexually assaulted by that man. Right. So again, back to structures, you have to recognize that yes, you know, there may be some men or who are falsely accused. But, you know, at least in the high profile cases we're seeing in the media right now, not one of them it isn't true for. Not one of them. It's all true. And so you don't have my sympathy if you're saying, well, but I don't care. I don't care. I think if, you know, you should be careful how you talk to women in your workplace. I think you should be careful not to put hands on a woman who hasn't asked you to put hands on her. I think you should not leer, hover, you know, behave like a human fucking being. And you won't have to worry about it. So, so Rebecca I mean, really... Solnit
1: calls that the, the, the Me Too backlash. Right. So what you're talking about in feminist circles is people calling this the Me Too backlash. And she writes this great piece that says, stop telling us how to confront an epidemic of violence and abuse. And one of my favorite paragraphs is she wrote, I sometimes think that we are in this extraordinary moment of stories breaking loose. And so that's what you were just talking Mm -hmm. about. It kind of feels chaotic. However, it's not. And it feels very normal to me, actually. It just seems like people are actually paying attention. Because of the slow, quiet work feminism has done over the past decades to put many women in decision-making positions and make far more men willing to hear women's stories and trust the tellers. These stories are in many cases old, and there are reasons they were not told before that they're being told now may be because there are more women and people who believe women and think their rights matter, who are assignment editors at newspapers and producers at television stations, who are judges and juries, who are in management and law and Congress and news and other positions. This incremental shift made the conditions right at last. So the people who are like shocked and flabbergasted and feel like this is a witch hunt have not been paying to this, paying attention to the slow crescendo of these stories, and they basically just reached a breaking point. Mm-hmm. And now, the back, you know, people who are participating in the backlash are like, "Oh my God, it's a witch hunt!" And we're like, "Well, it's been leading to this for decades."
0: I'm glad you brought up that story because that really struck me when I read it this morning. Yeah, it just Um,
1: came out today. Thank you, Rebecca Solnit.
0: The bottom line is men have been given the benefit of the doubt since the beginning of humanity, while women have always been mistrusted, assumed to be sluts and liars, and out to destroy men. Our culture seems to be shifting for the first time, for the first time, to believing women and giving us the benefit of the doubt. And it has a lot of men scared and feeling uncomfortable. And I see that and I hear that and that's okay. It will take time to achieve some balance. The pendulum is swinging and people are very uncomfortable with that and that's okay. But don't resist this shift. Don't push back and say, no, it just shouldn't happen. It should happen. This has been a long time coming It's absolutely necessary if we are ever, ever to achieve parity in our structures, in our systems, with each other as human beings. It's necessary. And so don't resist it.
1: The idea of surrender, and not in a bad surrender idea, but just softening into Mm -hmm. what's going on instead of trying to be rigidly and adamantly and willfully not willing to accept that this is a bigger problem than just a person and just a bad actor until we can soften into that vulnerability, that vulnerable place of recognizing that we all have a state. Because it's easy to just say it's a bad actor because then it's like them, not me. Mm -hmm. And so I think we all need to sit with and feel the vulnerability of recognition that we are all complicit if we don't listen to women if we turn a blind eye if we allow our institutions to have too much power then we are we are culpable in a way and that doesn't feel good so i understand the inclination but you can't have it both ways you can't say you want things to change and then also say but it's not me it's them what can we do to chip away at these institutions to make sure that they Next time some 16-year-old girl or 12-year-old girl tells her therapist or her coach or the police that she's being molested, that somebody listens to her and does something about
0: it. I think that's a good place to end the talk today.
1: I hope to God we don't keep adding names to that list, but I have a feeling we will be.
0: Well, and if we do, we'll That's... we'll revisit well, it. Well, they again. need to be.
1: If they're out yeah. there, they need to be added. I don't want to make it yeah. sound like that. But... No,
0: and, and if they do, we'll revisit this again because I don't I don't think even though we're seeing a cultural shift, it's not going to change overnight. Again, no. like you said, it's been this long, slow crescendo that seems to be hitting some kind of a a peak, mm-hmm. or it's leading to a peak, which I think is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um,
1: the shit will out, as sh- some wise person
0: said to me once. And we'll see what more shit comes in 2018. (laughs) Like what you're hearing? Become a patron of our podcast and help us be sustainable. Click that little green become a patron button on our Podbean page and it'll get you started. But here's the cool news. There are three different patron levels that you can participate in to show your love and support of our hard work for you. A monthly commitment of just $1, which is less than the cost of a cup of coffee, gets you a large, cool, square sticker for your computer with our freshly designed logo, and you can share the love. For $5 a month, you get two stickers, a shout out on Facebook and on the podcast, plus our newest patron level of $8 a month You'll get all the love and swag of the $1 and $5 levels, but also early access to every episode and expert extra. So join our patron team at this $8 a month level and be in the know before everyone else. All of your donations are greeted with our deepest gratitude. Thanks for keeping us sustainable. Time for... Trumpster, Trumpster Fire! Fire!
1: Amanda, yes, we have to talk about Donald Trump's Twitter
0: feed. Oh my God! Again, oh my God! Fuck? Yes. What okay. He... Okay. What now? So I
1: found myself <laughs> over the weekend, yes, literally out loud saying, "What is happening? I cannot even believe this is happening." So this is the tweet on February tenth at ten thirty that our Commander in Chief felt the need to send out to the world. Mm-hmm. People's lives, no apostrophe people's lives are being i think
0: really grammar is the least of our i know at this
1: point but like i can't (laughs) let it go people's (laughs) lives are being shattered and destroyed okay so first of all shattered is strong enough you don't need to say destroyed by a mere allegation so holy shit we're gonna talk about that yes some are true and some are false (laughs) these are deep thoughts who writes that? Some are true and some are false. A six-year-old. You literally might as well just erase that sentence. Some are old. <laughs> to everything. <laughs> turn turn. Right. Some are old and some are new. Oh my fucking God. There is no recovery for someone falsely accused. Le- hyphen instead of dash. Life and career are gone. Is there no such thing any longer as in cap? for some reason due process question mark so yeah this is there is so much happening here can you tell us a
0: little bit about what is going on yeah so uh, we we could certainly unpack the (laughs) the ridiculousness of his writing yeah but but we'll we'll rise above that we're we're gonna focus on the actual big picture issue and i uh, there was an article in vox yesterday Mm -hmm. um so uh, February 12th, uh, the title was Trump Wants Due Process for Abuse Allegations. Eight Legal Experts Weigh In. So Vox went out and found eight legal experts. I am not going to articulate what all eight said, because, mm-hmm. but I would encourage our listeners to go search that headline and find the Vox story and read it. Basically, due process does not mean that you have the right to be believed, only that you have the right to be heard. And at the bottom, and this is one expert said, at the bottom, due process is our protection. So as citizens, our protection against arbitrary governmental action. And that due process is only triggered when the government acts. Really? It does not apply to the press or the court of public opinion or to private employers. Huh. So that was news to me. I did not realize that. I was glad I read that. So the question is essentially an existential one. Due process in court is one thing. In the court of public opinion, it's more. It's a more fluid notion, entangling questions of what is fair, what is reasonable to believe, and what rings emotionally true. So I wanted to go over just what one of the legal experts cited in this article has to say about the idea of due process in the context of all this. Um, these Me Too allegations and people falling like flies.
1: And did they agree? Like, were they pretty much on the same page or were they varied? these eight opinions like is due process a really muddy no concept okay so they all they all like were basically on the same page all, they yeah. they had a different angle perhaps uh, right. but they they agreed on the the yeah. essence okay oh, yeah. so i didn't know if like the essence of it was no, debated
0: no i i it seemed to me that the the legal experts all agree basically what due process is but then there's this right this idea of like well when you get outside of how like what whether the government is acting or not and whether how does it apply okay in, in other know all right so this this is um, Shira Scheindlin. She's a former U.S. District Judge of New York. She said the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution provides that, quote, no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without the due process of law. So hmm. this legal standard, she says, means what it says. And the okay. one thing I've noticed, um, you know, as, as the... Uh, just the faculty union chapter president, right, mm-hmm. of KU, and I deal with our labor relations and legal people a lot mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. the union. And our contract is a legal document, right, mm-hmm. just for a, a different context. Whenever you have a legal document, language is actually really important. Mm-hmm. And my understanding in, in in my own world and what I have to deal with the legal aspect with our contract is it's literal. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so. There's there's sometimes there's room for interpretation and there's sometimes there's like the spirit. It literally the, means yeah. what right? So, I know what you mean. okay. yep. so in this case, so this uh, Shira Sheinlin, she says Rob Porter and others accused of sexual abuse or harassment are not being deprived of life or liberty as a result of the allegations against them. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think we can all agree that that is true, at mm-hmm. least at the moment. Um, but she also goes on to say that property Is a a closer question so it's a little different because some of those people have lost their jobs and the income coming from that employment Mm -hmm. um, as a result of losing that loss of employment and loss of income as a result of the accusations rather than proof in a court of law I think her point is that you could argue that that is a loss of property Mm -hmm. right so a loss of property interestingly he
1: does not note property in his tweet no, he doesn't. He says life. He says life. And career.
0: And that's, well... And which I guess is not the language of her, the... It's economy, not the language right. of this. Uh, she goes on to say, nonetheless, in most instances, the question is not one of civil or criminal liability. Rather, the question is whether, given the quality of the allegations, the person against whom the allegations have been made should remain in the position of trust, confidence, and responsibility, which he... And it's usually a he. This is her parenthetical. Currently holds other examples might include um, that that this person currently holds. So should they be able to continue in their position given the allegations, given the quality of the person? Right. Mm-hmm. And she cited other examples um, like Matt Lauer, or Charlie Rose. You know, they were in a position of public trust. You could say, do they really deserve to stay in that position given the number and strength well, it seems of the ad- like accusations?
1: They did. It seems like they actually all both. The, your for, two examples both for did a for a while. very long time. For a long time, like these until, are not sudden. Right. These are not sudden upheavals, right?
0: So then she goes on. In short, there is a process of so in the process, uh, the court process. There's a process of charges, proof, and a judicial decision when when a legal action is brought. But when a business or a government entity or a voter must decide whether someone is fit for his position, the decision process. Is of necessity much less formal, much quicker, and truncated. So a judgment call must be made, and it must often be made quickly. Mm-hmm. So the due process of a court action is often very complicated, and a lengthy affair mm-hmm. takes a long time. Mm-hmm. It involves pretrial discovery, witnesses, a judicial proceeding, but Given the stakes of loss of life or liberty, that lengthy process makes sense. Absolutely. Right? I mean, you want it to take. Right. You, you want, want it to, it to be thoughtful long, and, and thorough. And, and thorough. Okay. In this context, the accusations that cause a person to lose his job must be evaluated by the employer, mm-hmm. who must make a judgment call based on the strength of those allegations. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what she says. She says there's nothing wrong with that, that evaluative judgment call. And if That the person... in fact,
1: that is the job of a boss.
0: Right. So she says, if the person removed from his position feels aggrieved, he is welcome to bring a case in court in which he would have the burden of showing that he was wrongfully terminated. And in that proceeding, the underlying accusations would be fully aired. And she's s- suggesting that may, that may be why so few, if any, of accused right. have actually pursued this course because that that airing of the grievances would be full and complete. And in court, you're under in public. Oath. Yeah.
1: And, you're under, and oath. you're under oath.
0: So the idea of due process, bottom line, long story short, what Donald Trump is saying, it does not apply to these situations. It just does not. And I picked her um, analysis of it because she does even allow for that little open door, that little foot in the door of, well, you might be able to make the case that a loss of income through a loss of a job might be considered property mm-hmm. but bottom line due process is is a judi- it's a court system right. it's when the government acts it's not it it's really, not this it doesn't apply it's to not this. like no. the fbi knowing
1: no. that this had happened right so once again donald people- trump
0: walks us down this path of uh, he doesn't know what he's talking about and he's trying to distract all of us with saying these you know, big legal terms mm-hmm. that he clearly doesn't understand. Or if he does, he's purposely misleading people by using it this way.
1: I'm going to fix his sentence where it says, some are true and some are false. Most are true and few are false. Yes. Right? Yep. Imagine if he actually had facts and had looked into
0: mm-hmm.
1: how this works.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Some are old. <laughs> some are new there is no recovery for someone falsely accused
0: and That's so the assumption true. is
1: that we do not believe the women let's right. remember that at the underlying message here is i don't believe again mm-hmm. all of these women and i will remind you again that women right there were, we can't all be sluts and liars mm-hmm. we can't all be making this
0: up mm-hmm. i would say the the word mere also oh, yeah. is really problematic yeah. because it's very dismissive. Yeah. It's an extremely dismissive qualifier that he's used.
1: Where does he say mere?
0: Mere allegations? Doesn't he say that? Oh anymore? god, yeah. It's a mere it's allegation, even a mere Ugh. allegation. Like so I as if an alle- now. as if an allegation is is so frivolous a trifle. and silly mm-hmm. and and it's, it's silly not, girl stuff. It's no it's not important at all. Mm-hmm. Um this yes, and this was after
1: is. photos of a woman with a black eye came out yeah. like this again through dirtalism.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: again this is not like a he said she said situation yeah. this is these two women both said that he had abused them and there was photographic evidence of it
0: so not just a mere allegation. this is not a
1: mere allegation <laughs> this is not a finger point this no. is like years worth of sadness finally coming to light
0: but think about it. The idea of Donald Trump is in power. He's, a, he's an older white man who's in power. And his the power structures that uphold his power, he is obviously invested in making sure they stay exactly where they are. Yep. And not believing women is part of that. Correct. <laughs> well,
1: I'm sure it would be so nice to not talk about Donald Trump's Twitter feed on one of these? Mm-hmm. It would. Let's and see it... if that happens.
0: <laughs> Not likely. <laughs> we dedicate ourselves to collective resistance resistance to the billionaire mortgage profiteers and gentrifiers, resistance to the healthcare privateers. As I have said, and as I believe, the advancement of the full participation of women and girls in every aspect of their societies is the great unfinished business of the 21st century. And not just for women, but for everyone. And not just in far away countries, but right here in the United States. Thank you for understanding that sometimes we must put our bodies where our beliefs
1: are. Sometimes, pressing send is not enough.
0: (laughs) If if we want to give all of our children a foundation for their dreams and opportunities worthy of their promise, if if we want to give them that sense of limitless possibility, that belief that here in america there is always something better out there if you're willing to work for it then we must work like never before this episode's fierce woman warrior is elizabeth lapance elizabeth lapance is an award-winning anishinaabe and metis designer writer artist and scholar who is the co-editor of one of the most exciting devastating and necessary anthologies i've seen this year dear woman an anthology published by native realities press this comic collection tells many stories of dear woman through words and visual art in beth's introduction to this collection she writes quote the stories i've heard about dear woman tell of a gorgeous luscious and downright deadly figure who lures men from fires and whose deer legs are hidden by the light and shadows of the flames until she leads a man off from a gathering far enough to stomp him to death," quote. Consider that one in three native women are sexually assaulted in their lifetimes, and you see why deer woman stories are so needed. I first encountered Elizabeth's work in Moonshot, the Indigenous Comics Collection, volume one, and then again in Moonshot, volume two. And her fearlessness with story continues to teach me and my students. This newest collaboration with many, many other Native women artists and writers, Dear Woman and Anthology, is just as fearless, bold, and truthful. Some of the moments depicted in these pages took my breath away, and all I can do is say that you must get a copy and read this anthology for yourselves to better understand the survivance of Native women today. As Lee Francis, publisher of Native Realities Press, writes in his publisher's introduction, quote, The response for Dear Woman has been overwhelming. Native and non-Native women alike have been moved by this work, but it is more than a platform for artistic ventures. Rather, it is an expression of resistance and healing, an opportunity for Native women to find empowerment through creative and narrative expression, a vision of tradition and heart interwoven with images of power and presence, end quote. Follow this fierce woman warrior, Elizabeth LaPensee, on Twitter at the at symbol Odominoin or at symbol O-D-A-M-I-N-O-W-I-N. And buy your copy of Dear Woman, an anthology, direct from Native Realities Press at nativerealities.com. If you know a fierce woman warrior who is taking action in her community in some way, Please send her name and information to us at inside254podcast at gmail.com or send us a private message through our Facebook page. And we will do the necessary research, reach out to this person. But this is not an interview segment. As you see, this is about amplifying women's advocacy and work in communities. So nominate a Fierce Woman Warrior today. Let's take a time out for a media minute.
1: I want to underline every single word in Lori Penny's collection, Bitch Doctrine, Essays for Dissenting Adults. Penny's voice is one of wit, intellect, and vitriol. She lambasts those arguing against identity politics when she reminds the reader early on that, quote, all politics are identity politics, But some identities are more politicized than others. I find Penny's collection validating, making me want to shout amen after every line. Once she gets the election chapter off of her chest, she can find more air in the room to write about gender, agency, backlash, and violence, ending the book with a chapter that examines current popular literary and filmic texts about gender and dystopia. Her language is fierce, smart, and caustic. I am so excited to have encountered Penny's work in 2017, and I hope you can find some hope and validation from her essays just as I did.
0: Let's end today's podcast with some activist actions.
1: Some of you are not going to like this, but y'all need to pay for your news. You have to pay for news in order for the stories to break, like the ones we heard about earlier in this episode. If no one is financially supporting reporters at these institutions, then these stories that take months and sometimes years to report are not going to come to light. And as we have seen, the other structures in place are not working. And so if we want journalism To be that fourth wall between like chaos and systematic misogyny being reified and these stories coming to light, we have to pay. 53% of adults pay for news and the reason, the number one reason people start to pay for their news is because of coverage of a specific topic. And I cannot imagine that there is a more specific and important topic than the Me Too movement and the sexual assault and the sexual misconduct that is being reported in the news today. So if you can, please do what you can or subscribe through your university, right? Show up, show that you are willing to put a few bucks where your heart is and pay for these journalists to bring these this news to light thanks for spending time with us inside 254 you can find us a lot of places online on facebook we're at inside 254 podcast on Twitter, we're at inside254 Pod. On Instagram, we are at inside254. And on WordPress, where we post links and places that you can go to donate or learn more about our activist actions, we're at inside254 site, site.wordpress.com. You can find our free episodes on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play Music, and you can also just Google us. There are two things you can do to help us build audience today. You can go onto Facebook, click one of those stars, and leave a comment as feedback, and then you can go to your listening platform and rate us on there as well. By doing those two things, that's going to get our word out and help us build our audience. Thank you for helping us grow.